0: That's where we're going to start, just a way of introduction. And then we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And there we'll do our bulk of our work there in that sermon of Peter's there to magnify this resurrected Lord and what God has accomplished through the the one who could beat death. I love this passage um, in Luke as I had Brian read that because it really gives you a sense of what was happening there. Um, The harmony of the Gospels fills in all of the picture, but... But Luke here does such a great job with uh, reminding us what happened. You could just see it on the first first day of the week, this Sunday morning, uh, very early. These women are headed for the tomb. They they had seen these men handle the body of Christ and they knew they needed help. And so God sent them on their way. and, And as they get there, they see quickly that the stone is rolled away. They're they're in awe of that. They they were very concerned with how they were going to get that stone out of there and get to the body of Christ. And and as they entered, Luke records that they see this empty tomb. And what a great message that is. The first people, the first women to the tomb, see that it's empty. Christ has beat death. And and then upon that, as the women are, are somewhat perplexed, the Bible says... Two angels appear. They're messengers from God. If you listen to the sunrise service, I did one earlier this week. I think it got posted this morning. And and it looked at the view of the resurrection from the angels. And as you see in this text, in verse 5, they're very succinct in their belief. They know that he is risen. In fact, they remind him, they remind the women and the disciples throughout this discourse that Jesus is risen just like he said. It's a remembrance of what the Lord has done. And so I love this phrase. Why do you seek in verse five, the living among the dead? Why would you possibly come to look for a savior in a dead place? He's not here. He's risen. Of course, you know, as the story goes on. The women go and they get the disciples and they tell them of what was going on. The disciples weren't sure they were going to believe these ladies Um, It appeared in verse 11 as nonsense to them, as nonsense. And just just for a moment, I want you to think about that. There's probably plenty of people in this world that think we're full of nonsense today. Why would people come out and and spend their morning here in a car listening to worship music and hearing the preaching of the word to many, it seems Like nonsense, but because we so many don't believe the words of God and even the disciples did not fully trust the words of Christ yet. But then they came to the tomb and Peter's response is priceless here, isn't it? In verse 12, notice what he says. He says that he ran and stooped and looked in and he saw the linen wrappings. And Luke records this, that he went away to his home marveling at what happened. Christian I trust you still marvel at what happened, that God had set a plan down from the foundations of the world to raise his son to give us freedom from our sins. And I pray that you understand that. Turn with me to 1 Peter, because I want to look at what happens to Peter. Um, he marvels. He, at first, he doesn't believe, um, as he said to the women. But when we get to the book of 1 Peter, we have an apostle who is so convinced of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that he himself, history tells us, would be crucified upside down because he believed that much in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we turn to this great sermon, I want to look at chapter one, verse 17 through 21 this morning. Let me give you a few thoughts. First, the resurrection motivates our worship of the Father. The resurrection motivates our worship of the Father. Verse 17, it says, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. In other words, what this verse is saying, if God is really your heavenly father, then worship him because he planned your salvation. He planned your salvation. He had planned it from eternity. And he's worth living for. And so Peter has so consumed with his resurrected Lord Jesus Christ with the heavenly father that he says this must impact our lives daily. Notice the word address there. It means to call upon. So if you call upon God as a child of God, then it must impact your life. The resurrection, it changes you. People who get saved now pray to a God that they believe hears them. And so Peter says, if you if you call on him as father, then talk with him. Can you imagine a Christian who doesn't pray? That, that's almost unheard of. In fact, I would even doubt that they truly know the Lord if they don't talk to the one who chose them from the foundations of the world and drew them to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to commune with the father is the result of of a resurrected Savior. If you think about this, if Jesus doesn't get out of that grave, he is not the one who mediates our prayers with the Father. So you and I can wake up in the morning, we can say, dear Heavenly Father, and we can speak with him because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the term. Don't you love the term Father? You may not have had a father that was loving and kind. I don't know what your situation is, but our Lord Jesus Christ is an amazing father. It's a term of intimacy. It's a term here used to stress the intimate relationship between God and his children, all brought about through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles go so far as they call him Abba Father, a very enduring, a very uh, intimate term that this is what God does. Notice that the verse says that he's an impartial judge. He's an impartial judge. Well, first of all, he's a judge because he separates and he makes decisions. That's what he does. But he evaluates and he knows the actions of every, true, every person. He knows the true nature of people. And he has his watchful eye on it. But the word impartial here, it's actually only used here. It's an interesting word. Um, it's used just once in the New Testaments here. It means literally this, without receiving face. Now, you go, well, what does that mean, Scott? Without receiving face. That's the actual, what we literally interpret that Greek adjective. It means that God doesn't need to see the face of a person. He's not, he, he doesn't look at our face or our outward appearance and make a judge, he has the ability to look right within and make judgment. He knows us. That's the power of God. And notice he examines each man's work. Well, this is not work for salvation, but this is showing that God is concerned with his children's motivation to live for him. And brothers and sisters that are here, I cannot think of a greater motivation than the resurrected savior. That he died for our sins. God proved that he forgave us of our sins. And he brought him out of that grave. Amen. What a motivation to live for him. To, to, to live, live out our life working for the Lord. Working for the Father. No matter what you do, you should understand that you are working for God. Not you're working your way to salvation. That would be foolish. The Bible doesn't show that any way. But we work for God now. He, he is our Father. He is our Abba Father. And we lay our lives down for him. He goes on to say at the end of 17, he says, conduct yourself in fear during this time of your stay on earth. Well, that word fear is not what maybe you and I would think or our children would think. It's, it's the idea of awe, reverential worship. Conduct yourself with worship. How have you been doing with that, this, this uh, sequestered time? Are you, are, are you using it to worship the Lord? Do you you honor him with your lives? See, live our lives as strangers is the idea here. We're strangers here. You know, we watch the news and all that goes on. I hope that your biblical worldview as you look at this is very different than than much of maybe what you hear on the six o'clock news. Because we are strangers here and we know that God causes all things and he brings that about for the good of his children. And for his glory. And so we view things very differently than the world does. But we live our lives as strangers in this reverential worship. Deserving of our father who rescued us through this resurrection. Second thought. The resurrection highlights the precious and perfect payment of our redemption. The resurrection highlights the precious and perfect payment of our redemption. Notice in verse 18, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers. Well, he starts us off with knowing this is this is a knowledge that should continue daily. It's an ongoing knowledge. If you're a Christian, you should know that God redeemed you. You should believe that it's the mark of a Christian that, you know, God sent his son to redeem your soul, to purchase that. For eternity and this knowledge is available to every believer the spirit of God gives you knowledge as you open your Bible and start to study it and start to read it the spirit of God takes that truth and plunges it into your heart God is noble through the word of God he's noble through the spirit of God and he roots it deep into our heart this this is a knowledge of Christ understood through a remarkable gift The remarkable gift that he came, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, was buried and then resurrected. Oh, that knowledge floods into everything we do. Paul said he was determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that would include his resurrection. The Peter marveling at the tomb is amazing. But this passage, you can see that the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has infiltrated everything in his life. He's, he owns everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, this resurrected Savior. Notice the word redeemed. I love this word. It has a past tense, but yet it's passive in the original language. And that simply just means the fact that that it's already been accomplished and, and the work was done by someone else. So, so, so God did this through Jesus Christ. He redeemed us 2,000 years ago. The work on the cross was done and it was applied to us at the time of. We believed and so we're released uh, both the, the verb and the noun redeem is often used of ransoming a prisoner or setting a, a slave free. You, can, you get your mind around that. I don't think we all realize how captive we are to sin before salvation. It has you so tightly held. You do not have a free will to do as you want because sin has corrupted our free will. And so God had to redeem us. He had to do a miracle because we could not on our own in any way free ourselves from the penalty of sin. And so Peter brings attention to the cost of this redemption. It was a ransom done by the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrificial death, all tied to the holiness of God. Christ had to be our substitute so God could be the one who just and the justifier. He could be the just one. It was a sin against God. Our our lives, our, our birth into this world, our depravity was a sin against God. So God had to be the one who would remain just. And so he sent the just one, the Lord Jesus Christ, to justify you and I. Now notice in verse 18 that there was nothing on earth that could purchase such a redemption. Nothing. The greatest treasures of man are futile. There was only one thing weighty enough, weighty enough to redeem us. And that was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing could do that. you, You can't buy your way. There's a beautiful story in Acts of Simon the Magician who desired to buy the Holy Spirit. Desired to, in a way, buy salvation. And the apostles rebuke him. There's no way to purchase that on your own. It is the work of God, and if you're saved here, if you're a believer here today, I want to encourage you that you're saved because God redeemed you, not because of you. That's what gives him the most glory. He accomplished these things. Notice it says in the end of 18, from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers. Well, brothers and sisters, man has always attempted to travel a well-beaten, smooth road of good works in order to please God, to gain his favor. Traditions and our presuppositions of how we think God is have dominated how people think of God. But That does not get you anywhere. Man has been handing down from generation to generation this teaching on that man is good enough and he can do this and do that and say that and give this. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Fallen man was plunged, plunged the human race into depravity. But God had a perfect plan. He had a perfect sacrifice. and It included the blood of a lamb, the blood of a final lamb, unblemished and spotless. And I want to make this point. Jesus's blood was not like the lambs of the Old Testament. Those those lambs' blood were corruptible. They would have to do it time and time again. They had corruptible blood, even though it was a sign, it was pointing towards something greater it held off the wrath of God. But now this final lamb comes and only the blood of Christ, the final lamb could take away our sins and appease God. You see, his blood is precious. His blood is precious. Spurgeon said he would rather have his tongue cut out than not talk about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we know that that was our ransom. Jesus Christ died for us. He brought his own blood into the Holy of Holies and made that final offer to God. And God ransomed his elect. And so the cost of Calvary is beyond our human comprehension. The value of the shed blood of Jesus is beyond our understanding. He was indeed the Lamb of God, the sinless, impeccable Lamb. Third thought this morning, the resurrection features a preordained Redeemer. The resurrection features a preordained redeemer. Look at verse 20 with me. This is an astounding verse. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Well, Peter starts this letter out, if you look in verses 1 and 2, he tells us that we were chosen by the foreknowledge of God. Notice at the end of 2, he says, who are chosen is the word electos, elect? who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So he starts out the whole letter reminding the church that God foreknew you before the foundations of the world. You are not some kind of cosmic blip. You didn't stumble your way into Christianity. God knew you and chose you. But then he turns his attention to the Redeemer, that his central focus of God's divine foreknowledge is the Lord Jesus Christ. And foreknowledge simply just means seems to, uh, literally means to know something beforehand. But this isn't just prior knowledge, brothers and sisters. It's just not prior knowledge. It means to know something beforehand with all certainty that the event will occur. Now think about this. If, if we look at this verse, verse 20, it means that God foreknew the whole program of redemption. His foreknowledge rested with his affection upon Jesus Christ who was already chosen to be man's redeemer before man was created. God chose him before that. Christ's work as a redeemer was not an afterthought. God did not create the world and then go, oops, they messed up. Now I got to figure out how to fix this. God knew what was going to take place. That's divine love that he knew we would reject him. And yet he sends this foreordained, this Promised one, the Godhead had set Christ before the foundations of the world to be our Redeemer. That is astounding. And God planned it before the creation, and the prophets spoke about it. You remember Psalms chapter 16, verse 10. There, the Bible says, speaking of someone who they didn't understand who this talked about, that God would not let this Holy One's body see decay. I mean, they, they didn't know what this was talking about till after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they began to understand who this one was, that the Holy One would never undergo decay. Acts chapter 2, starting of the great sermon at Pentecost, Peter says this, he says, this man, Jesus Christ, delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. Oh, this verse fits so nicely into the understanding of the whole Bible that God foreknew all of this. Can you imagine that before there was anything he knew his son would come to the earth, be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, die a death undeserved for him, die a death for sinners who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, be buried. And on the third day, God would pull him out of that grave victorious, all planned before he said in the beginning. That's astounding. That's the deep love of our God, our father. Now. Now. Notice part of this phrase at the end of verse 20, it says, but has appeared in these last times for your sake. I love this little phrase because what this says is that his entire earthly ministry from his birth to his glorious ascension was done for you. Peter really personalizes this. God foreknew him for the foundations of the world, but he did this for you. It's it's a singular. It's amazing how he thinks of individual people in this text. He did it for you. Notice, believers, that the divine aim of the revelation of the Redeemer is for your sake. This is how the apostles spoke. You guys all know Galatians 2.20. It says this. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is not... It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now listen to this phrase. This is Apostle Paul. Listen to how personal this is. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. What a statement. The Apostle Paul personalizes the finished, glorious, entire work of Christ for himself. And you can do that too. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know He has saved you from your sins, you can personalize this statement that God foreknew Christ that He would come and die for you individually, each and every one of you. It is such a marvelous statement, and know that when He came out of that grave, I think with with confidence in these passages, you can say He came out thinking of me, thinking of me. That's an amazing statement. Those who deserve eternal hell. Now are thought of, preordained, and now Christ comes out of the grave with us in His mind. Forethought. The resurrection, the resurrected redeemer grants faith and hope in God. The resurrected redeemer grants faith and hope in God. Notice the start of verse 21. It says, "Who through him are believers in God? Well, this verse emphasizes that Christians, are what they are only because of their personal experience with a resurrected Christ. Think about this. Who through him, speaking of us, those ones that he came for our sake, we are believers in God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You go, what does that mean? Well, John says that Jesus came and in John 1 18 says that Jesus was the ex- explanation of the father. You would not know God if you don't know Jesus Christ. There's no way to know God. You would have a vague view of him, maybe a deistic view that there's some heavenly being out there that started something. You would not have a detailed, understanding, knowable view of God without the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 1, the night before Jesus' death, Jesus spoke to his disciples and speaking to us. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so it is Christ that opens up our knowledge. The true knowledge of God is only revealed to the true mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about this. His redemptive work has a once and for all power to open up your mind and heart to who God is. Now you see him as gracious and loving. Now you see him laying down his life. You see God in the face of Christ, the Bible says. And think one more thought about your view outside of Christ. Without Christ, your view would be distorted of God. And it would range from doubt to dread. And when you talk to people who believe in a God, but don't put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have very foreign views of God, a very strong lack of understanding of who God is. They see him often as this distant, impersonal God, they see him as a mad and judgment God, or they see him as just this God of love of willy nilly doesn't care about anything. Oh, you see him through Jesus Christ and you are to start to understand, oh, he is holy and he is a judge, but he is a God who loves you. Your whole perspective of God changes because Jesus Christ came out of that grave. Notice that it says in that verse who raised him from the dead. God recognized his true children as those who clearly identify themselves with a resurrected savior. He knows you because you have identified yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, this Christ that beat death. Christ entered. Think about this. Christ entered the realm of death for a few days, but death could not hold him. And without his resurrection, you would have no assurance. You have no assurance if you drive home here today and Get in a car wreck, or you get this virus, or what? you would have no assurance if Christ does not come out of that grave. But the Bible says that he was raised from the dead for our sake. That's the whole theme of this. He was raised from the dead for our sake. And so the resurrection takes center stage in all of the teaching. The apostles, you cannot find a passage where the apostles are teaching where they don't bring in the resurrection. It's over and over in my last point, I'm going to give you 52 thoughts of, of just as quick as I can read them of how Jesus Christ in his resurrection is seen in the in, in the Bible. Last thought here. He gave him glory, though. He gave him glory. Well, certainly Jesus Christ was glorified when he came out of the, out of the tomb, wasn't it? It's glorious to see him. But there was more glory to come as he ascended on high. The father gave him the right hand. This is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He sits at the right hand of the father. That means he has all the power and authority of the, of the father in heaven. And he glorified him. Remember, Jesus said the night before his death in a prayer in the garden, he said, glorify me with the glory we shared before the foundations of the world. And God speaks out in his triumphal entry and says, I have glorified you and I will glorify you again. We have a glorified, resurrected Savior. He sits at the right hand, waiting to make his enemies his footstool. And he's coming again. And you will see him with scars in his hands, but yet glorified. And I think that's a tremendous teaching. He is a glorified, resurrected with all the amazing glory that comes with this almighty, sovereign being. But he's also got scars on him. That makes him even more glorious to us, doesn't it? He is this God of creation, but he has nail prints in his hands. And that's what the Lord did for him. He raised him from the dead and gave him the glory that he has. And then finally, you have hope and faith. Notice at the end of the verse, it says, so that your hope and faith are in God. You would not have hope today. You wouldn't even come here. You wouldn't have thought about doing this if Jesus Christ does not raise come out of the dead, raise from the dead. That Granted, you hope, hope in eternity, hope that God forgives you. Your sins are done. He dealt with them fully. He does not bring them back up. They are they are completely wiped out. And God sees you in his son. Now you now have faith and hope because of the resurrection. Well, in closing, I want to give you 50 some odd thoughts of how the resurrection influences the scriptures. I'm going to read these super fast. Do not try to write them down. Email the church and we'll get you the list. I, I originally found this from a man called George Lawson who had done tremendous work to find these things. But I want to read them as fast as I can. And then Edward's going to come back with the team and sing a closing song. And then I'm going to give you final instructions after this. But last thought, number five, resurrection produces immeasurable benefits. Listen to these benefits. I'll read them quickly. Scripture was fulfilled. Jesus became the first to proclaim the light of God. Jesus became the subject of our proclamation. This is all the result of the resurrection. Jesus was declared the son of God with power. Our preaching has meaning. Our faith has substance. Our witness is truthful. We have assurance. Whoa, I'm not going to get to all 50 of them now. Um, <laughs> we have assurance uh, of our that our sins are forgiven. We have hope for those who died in Christ before, before us. We have, uh, our Christian life has meaning. Jesus has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Our bodies will be raised from life. Death is abolished. We are motivated to daily live for Christ. We will be raised imperishable. We will be raised in glory. We will be raised in power. We will be raised with new spiritual bodies. We will bear the image of the heavenly body. We will, be, we will inherit the kingdom of God. The sting of death has been removed. We've been forgiven. We have victory. We, we, we will obtain a better resurrection. We will be partakers of the, of the first resurrection. We are united in his resurrection. We, um, we are blessed God through it. We can't appeal to God with a clear conscience. The agony of death has been put to an end. He has raised us to the right hand and is holy. I'm grabbing my last paper. (laughs) His holiness is confirmed by the resurrection. Thank you, Hayward. He received the promises of David. Those who do not believe will be destroyed because of the resurrection. We are justified because of the resurrection. We walk in the newness of life. Death no longer has a mastery over us. We can bear fruit for God. He intercedes for us. We don't trust in ourselves. We will be present before God physically. We can seek things above. We can be glorified with God. We wait for him in heaven. He has the keys of death and Hades. He is the Lord of the dead, and the living. He lives to God. He is a priest forever. We will never die and we are called sons of the resurrection. Luke chapter 20, amazing statement. His own words have been fulfilled. His disciples are free to proclaim the gospel to the world. It's proven that Jesus Christ will judge the world. The surpassing greatness of the power has been on display because of the resurrection and we have a living hope. 52 references, all those have Bible references because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great day. Virus or no virus, we have a risen Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this sweet time in your word. Thank you that though it is breezy, we are out here rejoicing. We are with the body of Christ gathered in a unique way, both here physically in their cars, many at home watching both here and around the world. We thank you that we could gather because Jesus Christ beat death. He came out of the grave and this was applied to us now. We're free from our sins. The slavery is gone. The chains have fallen off. We now belong to God forever. Thank you, Father, for preordaining our salvation Thank you, Father, for raising your son out of the grave. Jesus, thank you for your perfect, impeccable life becoming our sacrifice for us, beating death. Spirit, we thank you that you applied all of these truths to our life. You applied these truths. You plunged them into our heart. You granted us faith, and you reconciled us to God. Lord, we give you praise for this day. What a sweet time, Lord. May all these brothers and sisters here be encouraged through this.